Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, April 1st. I don't know if it's true all over the world. I'm not reading now, I'm speaking. I don't know if it's true all over the world, but in America, April 1st is considered April Fool's Day. And I, I don't know what that tradition is, although I'm sure we could look it up. But people play jokes on each other on April Fool's Day. So Swami's commentary on this day is about humor. Humor arises out of a sudden release of tension with the introduction of some unexpected incongruity. This release, if followed by an upward relaxation into the higher self, may give a fleeting glimpse of soul joy. Let this year's April Fool's Day, then, bring you upward release into the happiness of your own inner being and not draw you down into whirlpools of mockery and cynicism. There's really two kinds of humor, and Swamiji was very much in favor of good, clean humor, kindly humor, not vulgar humor, not humor that was based on uh, lower chakra functions, you know, but that which, uh, as he says, you know, shifts you suddenly into an incongruity. I had this experience with Swamiji where we ended up having a discussion about humor. Um, I have a rather quick wit. It's just the way my mind works very fast. So the sudden incongruity often occurs to me. Swamiji had the same kind of wit, much, much better than everyone's. And the sort of the, the circle around Swamiji reflected his enjoyment of, uh, of exactly this, you know, the sudden incongruity, which turns everything into laughter. And I was with him. We happened to be in Hawaii because he was working on editing um, the first part of his autobiography, the path. So this was the summer of 1976, actually quite a long time ago. And we had a balcony and uh, someone had given us, given him, the use of this condominium uh, right on the Kona coast. So we had literally standing on the balcony, we could look out, it was Swamiji and another woman and I, we could look right at the ocean. And so there was a swimming pool as part of the complex, and then the swimming pool was right next to the beach, and then there was the ocean. So you could watch the ocean coming in, and often the ocean has a, a white foam across the top of the waves. And then we were looking at the swimming pool, and for some reason maybe the wind was blowing, and it looked like there was uh, these waves, these these waves going across the ocean, the swimming pool too. And Swami sort of looked at that, and, and he pointed to the white, in the swimming pool, and he said, what's that? And I just answered, white caps, like that. White caps are big waves coming in from the ocean. Of course, it was ridiculous. It was a swimming pool. The explanation was probably some of the chemicals they were putting in the pool. But without even thinking, he asked the question, and I gave him a very incongruous answer, that the tide was coming in on the swimming pool, and these were the storm. this was the storm surge. And in the moment, it doesn't sound like much of a joke now, but in the moment we both laughed. We thought it was very clever. And, and suddenly I just had this just sort of curiosity. I said, Swamiji, what is humor? 
Like, why, why, when I could have given you such a normal answer, did I just step out into his wonderful world in congruity, just have it pop out without even thinking about it? And his response was interesting. He said, kindly, good humor. And by that he meant not stupid and not unkind. You know, people think they're being funny when sometimes they're just mocking people, which is really not funny at all. He said, good, clean humor, he said, is to a certain extent a spiritual quality. Because in order to be able to see, to suddenly insert an incongruity, it requires a flexibility in your mind. Instead of just, this is the way things are, this is the only way they can be, Now, of course, that very definition, that's the definition of a fanatic. You know, Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you're going to be damned to hell, and that's the way it is. What about people who never heard of Jesus Christ? That's just too bad, they're damned to hell. You know, just, you know, there's no, like, softness, there's no possibilities. And that fanaticism is the most extreme, but if you're rigid in your mind, now being witty is something else. I'm talking about having a sense of humor. You cannot be at all witty yourself, but still really be flexible and soft in your mind. And when the incongruities come in, you enjoy them as much as anyone, even if they would never occur to you. So Swami said, to a certain extent, it's a spiritual quality because you have to have a flexible enough sense of reality to be able to just turn and see things from a completely different light. And in as much as this world is just a dream, and it's all maya anyway, it's all a play of light and shadow, and that even the scientists are telling us now that the material world isn't even really there. This rigidity, I mean that it's just a pattern of energy is what I mean, it's there but it's not what it seems. This rigidity is actually literally contrary to truth. So the more flexible we can be just in our perception of what is, that is a quality that helps us spiritually because we're not fanatical, we're open-minded, we're constantly able to have one idea replaced by a better idea and to just keep ascending on the scale of expanded awareness. And it is notable that a notable feature of fanatical people is often an inability to make jokes, except unkind, mocking jokes. And then people think it's funny when you imitate someone, for example, who's impaired in some way, and you mock them and you make fun of them. You know, this is the inevitable tactic of a bully. What do playground bullies do? They just, uh, you know, they, they go to somebody who's weaker, and then they dominate them and laugh at them and jeer at them and call them names and think it's funny. When my um, nephew was quite young, he, he was quite precocious in his vocabulary. He loved to read and he, he loved big words. And when he was about five, you know, he'd, he would get some time in tussles at school. He was, he was not, uh, he was a bit different than the other children because partly because of the nature of his mind and his interests. And sometimes he'd get in tussles with the children and, you know, they would punch at each other. So my uh, sister, his mother, told him that he uh, needed to use his words, not his fist. So the next time um, they were going after him, he remarked, uh, he, he, he said that um, the reason they didn't understand is that they were mentally deficient. 
And then he came home and said to his mother, but they didn't know I was insulting them. <laughs> he said it was completely ineffective because they had no idea what it meant to be mentally deficient. <laughs> so that didn't work very well. They had to come up with another strategy. Of course, insulting them wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> but, you know, it was, a, it, was, it was a frustration to him. Let's just put it that way. I mean, some people... I mean, that's the way it is. You have, to, you have to be where you are. But what I was saying earlier is that people who are fanatical and aren't flexible in their thinking, they'll mock other people. Bullies will mock. That's where I got. How did I get to my nephew? Because bullies will mock. In fact, that's what he was doing back. He was just completely ineffective. But he was trying the same technique. So it's probably just as well that it didn't work. He had to work on some other sort of way to get his way. Uh, now he's a grown man and doing quite well. <laughs> and no surprise, he became an attorney. <laughs> now, moving right along, the little family story here. But what, um, what Swami's also saying, he, he uses that, that fun phrase, an upward release of energy. Now, I mean, think about how joyful it is when something just strikes you as so funny. You know, just when you're with your friends or when you're reading a book, Swami Kriyananda used to love to read P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse is a British humorist, um, and his turn of phrase, his the way he the way he sets up his characters, it's always extremely kindly. As Swami calls it, a God's eye view of humanity, but totally, it's all it's all story, but just totally, just hilarious in the way he describes things, and sometimes. It's just laugh out loud, side-splittingly funny. And just think about how you feel when you really just have a great belly laugh at nobody's expense. You know, there's not one person, there's not the one person in the room that everybody's laughing at, but everybody's laughing with each other because of something that was just so funny. Swami goes so far as to say that in the freedom of that moment, we touch into the joy of the soul. Because what happens when you're laughing like that? There's no other reality, is there? And the ability to laugh like that requires that you be, at least for the moment, absolutely free of any other concerns. I, uh, I remember when I was, uh, like it was in the early 80s, and I was essentially doing the same work that I'm doing now, except I did it um, on the road. I, I traveled. I didn't, I wasn't a resident in any, I wasn't in charge of any particular Ananda community. I just traveled. We didn't have any communities that, except for one, now that I think about it. But I traveled through several different cities, would spend a few weeks giving classes. I would be resident with friends. And usually by the end of like a three-week stay in Seattle, which is usually what I would do when I would go there, um, I would have had a great time, but I'd be kind of tired. And my hosts at that time had a great sense of humor. And almost always, something would end up making us laugh, sort of toward the end. It would be partly fatigue. And I actually remember, and this is just is about as silly as it can be, but uh, I didn't have a lot of experience with uh, exotic foods or foods that were not in the normal American diet. And at that particular time in the 80s, it wasn't quite as common. But my friends were more experimental cooks than I. And I found out about the food stuff called baba ganoush, which I guess is something made out of eggplant, if I'm not mistaken, even to this day. 
I don't know why, but that word Baba Ganoush was the funniest thing I ever heard. And I just, I literally remember, I remember falling against the door jam and then falling to the floor, just literally falling on the floor laughing because of the word Baba Ganoush. <laughs> and for years afterwards, it became among these friends and I, just all we had to say to each other was Baba Ganoush. And all of a sudden, there was just this memory of the absolute freedom of that laughter. It was just so free and so happy. And and that's what it is to be in the presence of God. I don't mean it's a belly laugh over the word Baba Ganoush, which is nothing but a, another language. I mean, there's nothing humorous about it. English language sounds as silly to people who don't speak English as, as other languages, because it's all just sounds, and if it has no meaning for you, it's just sounds. So someone who grew up with that as part of their diet would just look at me like I'm crazy, like hot dog, hamburger, popcorn. I mean, what is so funny about any of those words? I don't even pretend that it was sophisticated, but it was the experience of freedom that I'm describing. And it's very interesting because Master writes this poem, and it's called um, Samadhi, Cosmic Consciousness. And he talks about how you know worlds dissolve and everything is seen as one reality and life, birth, death, blame, disease, everything is washed away. And he goes on through this extraordinary uh, literary achievement to describe the undescribable in words. And it ends, a tiny bubble of laughter I, have be- I am become the sea of mirth itself. And I've, Master recommends that we memorize this poem and repeat it every day. I'm not that faithful to the practice, but I have memorized it. I've memorized it and slightly forgotten it and memorized it multiple times over years. But every so often I realize it all ends with laughter. It's just, it's just very interesting because we would, we would think that the cosmos would end with something else, wouldn't we? But I think part of it is, is Master is trying to make the bridge between that which he also describes in this poem as enjoyable beyond imagination of expectancy. That we cannot imagine how it will feel to be in that bliss state of God. And, and enjoyable, what a, how welcome and expansive and satisfying that experience is going to be for us. Enjoyable beyond imagination of expectancy. So then he gives us something we might recognize. A tiny bubble of laughter. I have become the sea of mirth itself. And what's wonderful there, there's a recording of Swami, of Master saying that poem. A tiny bubble of laughter. I have become the sea of mirth itself. And then he says to the audience, say it with me, say it again, a tiny bubble of laughter. I have become the sea of mirth itself. So Swami is telling us, laugh upward. When when that kind of laughter comes, flow with it, but flow upward. Let it remind you of the infinite freedom and joy of your soul. That's, That's what we were born to experience. And let us embrace it with our whole hearts. Swami says, Humor arises out of a sudden release of tension with the introduction of some unexpected incongruity. 
This release, if followed by an upward relaxation into the higher self, may give a fleeting glimpse of soul joy. Let this year's April Fool's Day, then, bring you upward release into the happiness of your own being and not draw you down into whirlpools of mockery and cynicism. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.